0: our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The text is from the first reading from Revelation. Please be seated. Well brothers and sisters from the beginning the Lord has always had a church and today in Revelation 7 John hears and he sees the church triumphant in heaven while he lives in the church militant here on earth as he rots away in a prison cell on the island of Patmos. Well, we'd better get right to it. We've got lots to do today, don't we? So in the first part of Revelation 7, John hears a number. Don't you find that interesting? He hears a number. 144,000. And then in the second half... He sees a great multitude that no one can count. So he hears a number, 144,000, and then he sees an innumerable number. That's the same crowd, by the way, but just simply different ways of describing the perfected church in heaven. In verses 1 through 8, this is interesting. John hears the heavenly roll call, and it goes like this. 12,000 from every tribe of Israel. And which tribe is listed first? Judah. Why? Because Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, reigns at the Father's right hand in heaven. Did you notice who was missing? The tribe of Dan is missing in the list. Why is that? Have you ever wondered? Here's why. The Antichrist was supposed to come from the tribe of Dan. And so Dan is excluded. And then Joseph You remember him, the feeder and the forgiver of his starving and wretched brothers? He has replaced Dan. 144,000 is the number of the church in glorious heavenly perfection. Do the math 12 Old Testament tribes, 12 apostles. So 12 times 12, and then do what? Cubit 10 times 10 times ten, because that's God's number of completeness. Ten commandments, ten plagues. Got it? Okay. So do the math. Twelve times twelve. Old Testament church, New Testament church, and Cuban. What do you get? You math teachers? 144,000. That's God's perfect, perfect, perfect church. In heaven there's an Israel, the church, like there never was before, and never will be on this earth. John hears God's Israel, his chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. The 144,000 are the baptized believers who have the mark of their God upon their foreheads. Now, after John hears the perfect number, that's when he, he sees with his eyes. And what does he see? He sees the heavenly church again. And this time it's described as a heavenly multitude, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation every tribe, every people, and language. (laughs) So in heaven, Babel's confusion and divisions are no more. In heaven, all the believers from all over the world are finally one people under one God. No more divisions, no more schisms like there is on the earth. And did you notice what they're wearing? White robes. That's the baptismal symbol of their priestly purity. Because Paul tells us in Galatians 3, as many as you who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been clothed with Christ Jesus. So they are covered with the seamless robe of our Lord's righteousness. Behold, a, a host arrayed in white, as we sang just a few minutes ago. And in their hands, palm branches, waving them. Just like Old Testament Israel did every year at the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you remember that? Israel would march around the temple grounds and wave palm branches to illustrate what? God's victory for them and for their homecoming in the promised land of Canaan. And then what? Check it out in the text. The perfect church in heaven worships Jesus, who is the slain Lamb of God, and yet resurrectingly lives. Now, of course, I'm asked all the time as a pastor, especially by the kids, Pastor, when I go to heaven, what will it be like? What will we do for all eternity? The answer from Revelation, not mine, but the answer from Revelation is what? Worship. Now you're freaked out, aren't you? (laughs) Worship. Because that's all there is to do when your earthly work and all your earthly labors are over. No more ball games to attend. No more practices. You worship. That's why I like to say that the Sunday morning divine service is like a rehearsal. It's like a preview or a foretaste of the heavenly feast that is to come. When all our earthly work is over and all there will be is worship in heaven. Now, for those Christians who purposely, for whatever reason, won't take the time or who have absolutely no interest to bow before the Lamb and to worship Him regularly on Sundays, I have to ask, what are you preparing for? If not heaven, then could it be hell, where you will be forever separated from the Lord? I sure hope not, but I fear that could be true for many, many Christians. Now, John, here's the church's worship of Jesus in heaven. And it's very similar, if you noticed, it's very similar to our worship of Jesus on earth. At least the words are. The heavenly church praises Jesus and his Father for saving them. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We sing, this is the feast, don't we? Normally, especially during Easter which is very similar to Revelation 7. After all, there is salvation in no one else than our Lord Jesus Christ, whom the Father sent to Good Fridayly die and Easter morningly rise. His, our Lord's name, Jesus, is the only name by which we are saved. He alone is the shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep on the cross. And in the text, the heavenly hosts, they all agree, they fall on their faces, and they add a thunderous what? Amen! That amen is hooked to what? A sevenfold doxology of praise. Sevenfold. It's like perfect worship, if you will. God created the heavens and the earth in six and rested on. Seven's big. Okay? Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then John does ask another important question about what he hears and sees. Who is this crowd of white world worshippers? Where do they come from? And the answer may surprise you at first. They're the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Please notice they are coming out present tense, not past tense. The point is this: Christians and Christianity are not spared tribulation. There are many hardships, difficulties, troubles, and crosses to bear. And we go through it together with our Lord Jesus Christ. And with him we come out of it, coming out of the great tribulation that lasts one's entire life. There's no secret silent rapture where Christians will one day supposedly escape, escape the troubles and tribulations of this world. Instead, there is only one continuous coming out of this veil of tears to eternal life. It's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from... Evil. So, if you're picking up what I'm teaching you today, Jesus is not a way around the dark valley of the shadow of death. He's the only way through it to eternal life, as we see in Revelation 7. In Revelation 7, John hears and sees the entire company of believers as it never was on the earth. He sees the triumphant side of the victorious and glorious church in heaven. On earth, on earth, the church appears what? Weak, inept, confused, incompetent, irrelevant, divided, mismanaged, and hopelessly, I'm told all the time, the church on earth is always, always hopelessly out of touch. On earth, the church's glory is hidden behind suffering and death. On earth, the church's victory is a matter of faith. On earth, the church's only hope is in the crucified and risen and reigning Lamb, Jesus. But now in heaven, in heaven, this white-robed bunch who suffered all, even the loss of their own lives, are face to face, with the only thing that matters, the Lamb, who is at the center of the throne and who is their good shepherd. And did you notice another important point in Revelation 7? The secret of the church's purity is what? In the fact that her robes are washed in the Lamb's Good Friday blood. (laughs) Because only his divine, all-atoning blood will do. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. That very blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross gets delivered to us in the word of forgiveness, in baptism, and in the supper of his body and blood. So I'm here to tell you that when you stand before the heavenly throne, you stand not on the basis of what you've done or what you haven't done, but rather because of what the Lamb Jesus Christ has done, his perfect life and his perfect death, in which he shed his blood for you. John sees that the church in heaven tabernacles under the tent of what? God's presence. Forever. Just as Old Testament Israel once did temporarily in the wilderness. He's God for them. They're his people. His Israel. So sun and scorching heat no longer beat down upon them. Their wilderness days... That's all done. God is their shelter, and they're at home. And they dine at his table. And you get a little taste of that each Sunday. The bread of Jesus' body and the wine that is his blood. No more hunger, no more thirst. Filled and satisfied. Now, of course, John knew that Christians on earth were going to suffer for the faith. As I mentioned earlier, he was in prison for being a Christian. And John knew that many Christians would be put to death. He knew that those seven congregations under his pastoral care in Asia Minor (coughs) would suffer immense discrimination, brutal persecution, and even excruciating death, simply because they believed that Jesus is Lord, and not Caesar, and not Rome. And John then lived in the confidence that the Lord was with them always. And that whether they lived or whether they died, they did so in the confidence that they would what? That they would dwell in the house of the Lord forever as pictured in Revelation chapter 7. This all applies to you, brothers and sisters. That vision of white-robed crowd worshiping Jesus the Lamb is a picture, too, of you, gathered with all of the Lord's baptized believers. This is your future in Jesus Christ. And it's already yours now, here on earth, through faith in Jesus. Today, yes today, you are gathered in worship around the Lord Jesus Christ with the angels, the archangels, and all the company of heaven. And the big time comfort for today is this, that no matter how bad things get for you, for the church, no matter how many tears or how much blood is shed, no matter how much we may hunger and thirst, It all comes out how? Perfectly. (laughs) In Jesus Christ. Now on earth there are plenty of tears, aren't there? There's tears of grief. There's tears of sorrow. There's tears of suffering. But in the end, those tears will be vindicated by the Lamb who died but who now lives. And God, as the text says, will wipe every tear from our eye. So now, as we live in the church militant, We are given to trust the Lamb and His Word. We are to hear His voice today in the forgiveness of sins and in the supper. And we are to follow the Lord Jesus Christ through earthly suffering and death to eternal life in heaven that has no end in the church triumphant. So blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving, honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of